Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? <clears throat> Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us today to understand the identity of our Savior, what he did, what he went through, and how that connects us to him. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today we continue with our series from the second season of The Chosen, and the message today is entitled, The Extraordinary Humanity of Christ. The Extraordinary Humanity of Christ. On his 16th birthday, a son approached his father and said, Dad, I'm 16 now. I want to get my driver's license so I can drive the family car. His dad looked at him and said, Well, son, driving a car requires maturity and discipline. And first, you must prove that you're responsible enough to be able to have a license and drive my car. And so there are a few things I'm going to need you to do. First of all, your grades are too low at school. You're not going to get any license with those grades. You need to bring your grades up. He said, secondly, I want you to begin reading your Bible every single day. Have that discipline of a daily Bible reading. And third, I want you to, to cut your hair. It's a big, long mess and you need to cut it and look like a young man. So the weeks went by, and excitedly one day, the son came to the dad and said, Dad, here's my report card. I've got all A's and B's, and he was just as proud as could be. And dad said, well, that's good, but have you, um, have you done the other things? Uh, have you been reading your Bible every day? Every day, the young man said, I've been reading my Bible. And the dad looked at his hair, and he said, well, your hair is a big, long mess, uh, you haven't got that cut yet, and thinking he could find a way around it. He said, yeah, but dad, you know, Jesus had long hair. And he said, that's right, son. And Jesus walked everywhere he went, just like you. <laughs> I never really thought about it, but Jesus did an incredible amount of walking. There are only twice in the Bible that I know of that it refers to him uh, riding on a donkey, and that was on the night of his birth before he was even born on the way to Bethlehem. And then again, when he went into Jerusalem in that triumphal entry. Other than that, he walked everywhere. There were some instances where he took a boat on the Sea of Galilee. It mentions that. But getting from town to town, surely he rode a camel in his life and he rode a donkey other than that, but we don't have a record of it. What we do have a record of is it saying over and again that they were walking, 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 walking. Did Jesus get tired? Have you really thought about that? I walk from my car <laughs> to my office and I, I want to relax a little bit. Maybe you're a walker. Maybe you like to walk. But Jesus walked more miles than you and I probably combined in his lifetime. We don't have any record about it. He doesn't talk about it, but the truth is there were times I assure, that, assure you that Jesus was exhausted just from walking alone. You see, we learn in the Bible that Jesus was fully God and fully man. 
And don't expect me to really explain that beyond what it is. Jesus was fully God or is fully God and was fully man as well. He was human and yet he was God in one person, one being. That is, he was born, he grew, he died. He was a man. The Gospel Coalition says it this way, as a human, Jesus experienced all the ordinary, non-sinful limitations of humanity. Now, he never sinned, but he still experienced our limitations. He grew and developed. He experienced, we, and we know this from Scripture, he experienced hunger, thirst, weariness, and the full range of human emotions. One of the first two heresies developed in the first century were what we call Ebionism and Docetism, if I'm saying those correctly. The first one, Ebionism, was really the belief that Jesus was only a man, that he may have been the Messiah, the promised one, but he was still just a man. He was not deity. And there are religions out there to this very day, not Christian religions, mind you, but religions that teach that Jesus was the Messiah, but he was not deity. Well, that was a heresy, heresy that Paul had to deal with. Another heresy he had to deal with was just the opposite. There were those that believed that Jesus was fully God, but he could not be a human being. He only looked that way. It was all a, a ruse because he was really God. And that this belief going around in the first century that everything physical was, this philosophical belief that everything physical was inherently evil and bad, therefore why on earth would Almighty God, eternal God, come down in the form of a person? It just didn't make any sense to them. It was no easy feat, by the way to be fully God and fully man. But what it did mean is that Jesus had to walk everywhere he went. And again, had I been the Messiah, there are a couple things I would not have done. I would have done differently, which is great for you that I was not the Messiah. First, because I wouldn't have died on a cross for a lot of people. I might have for a few, but for a lot of folks, no, I wouldn't even take it a whooping. And secondly, I would not, if I were fully God and fully man, I would not have walked everywhere. I'd have put on a red cape and just flown from town to town. Oh, goodness. But his feet hurt just like your feet and my feet. He was fully God and yet fully man. You see, if we don't understand Christ's humanity, then we don't understand Jesus. And if we can't understand Jesus, we'll never understand ourselves. <clears throat> for example, we saw in our passage for this morning in Matthew 9 that Jesus went around healing people. It does mention that. We've read that before. Oh, he healed people. That's nice. <clears throat> it doesn't seem like that big of a deal on the part of Christ. How hard can it be to supernaturally heal people if you're fully God? I don't really think about the logistics of that. How many, how many he actually healed? How many types of diseases and inflictions he encountered? And so what I want to do in just the next few minutes, I, I want you to be patient with me and bear with me if you would, and look at these passages. I'm not going to give you all of them. There's no time. I'm going to give you just a few that describes Jesus healing people. The verses in Matthew, now we looked a while ago in Matthew chapter 9, but look with me in Matthew 4.23. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says this. 
Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Let me say that last part. And healing every disease. I mean, a disease is every disease. That's a lot of diseases. Healing every disease. Not every disease that existed, but every disease he encountered. There was no disease that came to him, uh, no person that came to him with a disease and go, "Uh, I don't do that. That's a different doctor. You'll you'll have to go to a specialist. (laughs) Every disease and sickness among the people. Verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all, all who were ill. How many is that? All, everybody they knew that was sick, which is a lot of people. They said, come, there's this guy that can heal you. So they brought all who were ill with various diseases. And then it gives a few, those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, then the paralyzed, and he healed them. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. Now that's supposed to say 14, 14, I, I messed up. Um, because I'm not Jesus, <laughs> so I messed up there. Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew chapter 15, verse 30 says, <clears throat> Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Mark chapter 1, verse 33 says, The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 says, He went down with them and stood on a level place, which by the way, in Israel is hard to find. (laughs) I told you it's up or down all the time. He went and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And it gives us some more examples. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Wow. My wife, Cherry, is a nurse. I think I mentioned this to you once before. I'm a little on the squeamish side and when Cherry was going through nursing school, I learned very quickly not to ever, ever open any of her textbooks They're disgusting. Every page you look at is filled with diseases you can't imagine. Gross, oozing, disgusting, pus-filled, scabbed up, bloody, disfigured mess. In his ministry, and that's just pictures. I'm not, I wasn't even actually there. In his ministry, Jesus healed thousands, possibly tens of thousands of people. The, the, the record of the individuals that we have, the paralytic was lowered uh, through the, the roof, the healing or the resurrection of the widow's son and Jairus' daughter. Those are just a few of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of healings of which we have no record. It just simply says he healed the multitudes. <coughs> Thank you, Roxanne. Uh, <coughs> If it gets any worse, I'll have you finish up. I'll mark where I'm finished or where I'm at. All right, thanks. 
Remember that Jesus was fully God and yet fully man. And nowhere is this more evident than when he healed people because it was the power of God that healed them. But, but God the Father is using a very physical being, Jesus in the flesh, in order to do those miracles. He healed supernaturally, but himself was a susceptible human, susceptible to exhaustion and to fatigue just as much as we are. We see paintings over the years and over the centuries of Jesus healing. And in these paintings, and there are many of them, <clears throat> they're always of Jesus standing there in a very stoic, dignified manner. And you know he's healing because he, he's holy. he has the, the healing gesture. I don't know where we got the idea this was the healing gesture, but he's standing there like this. Do you, do you, do you know the painting? And then people are getting healed or somebody, he's just standing there all calm like that. Uh, I'm not sure that's accurate. What, what was involved in healing that many people? Well, I, I don't even know for sure, but it had to have been exhausting for him. I want to show you a scene. And you, you have to imagine with me, Jesus healing for 12 or 14 hours a day. Healing people who had all kinds of nasty, smelly, gross inflictions, in addition to demon possession, which was commonly mentioned in the list. How tiring that must have been. I want to show you a scene from The Chosen today. We don't have a biblical description of this exact scene, but it makes me think, think about Christ's humanity really in a new way. And I've been pastoring for 29 years now, and so I've preached a few sermons, and I've studied many of these passages, some of them over and over again, but from time to time, I'm still just blindsided. And this is one of those times when I saw this scene, I never really thought about what Christ went through just out of his compassion to heal people. It made me think of his humanity in a new way. In this scene, the disciples are together. And again, we, we don't have this exact scene in the Bible, but I can assure you this, is, this took place over and over again. It's late at night. They're all gathered around a fire and they're arguing with one another because the disciples were, after all, men. <laughs> and sometimes men have egos and they don't get along very well. Now, the, the writers have presumed this conflict, this tension between Peter and Matthew and he, they're probably right because Peter was a scruffy fisherman, a man's man, and Matthew was a tax collector or had been a tax collector, which was considered a traitor to his country. There had to have been some awkwardness among the disciples when Jesus called Matthew and allowed him to be a disciple at all. And so here they are in their pettiness and their arguing and Jesus' mother is there, Mary, and Mary Magdalene is there also. Now, we do know that that's accurate because they followed him in his ministry. When he, uh, in the midst of all of their arguing and debating, Jesus shows up after 12, 14, 16 hours of healing people. And again, it's something I'd never really thought about. Watch this scene. What about you? 
do you mean? Has it been difficult for you all this time? The occupation, following Jewish law. My life has not been easy. Oh, oh it hasn't. What was more painful for you? Escaping Roman persecution by working for them or escaping your guilt with all the money? And now you're catching up on Torah and wanting to follow the law. Why now all of a sudden? Why not all the other times you had the chance? Simon? No, no, John, I want to know. Uh, Mary had horrible trauma. She didn't choose all that happened to her. What's your excuse? What do you want me to say? I, I don't know what you want from me. An apology. What? Simon's not wrong. He could be more delicate about it, but you did choose to work for them. And you made my life even harder than it already was. And you haven't apologized. No, no, don't say it. I don't want you to apologize. It doesn't matter. What would hearing him say sorry do? I won't forgive it anyway. What keeps putting you in authority? Who are you to forgive or not to forgive? What, you're on his side? No, of course not, but you've had your problems too. What about apologizing for what you almost did to us with their Romans? I didn't go through with it. I was trying to save my family's life, and I love you, John, but that's not something you have to worry about when Zeb and Salome are looking out for you. But you put me in a desperate position where I did things I would never have done otherwise. And I've repented for them, and John and James, I am sorry, but I didn't go through with it. What is your excuse? I was a successful businessman, and yet I was always behind. He wasn't your tax collector. You quit defending him. I want an answer. Hey, you're new. Do you even know what it's like to be Jewish? To suffer for centuries and centuries because of it, but to still commit to it? To protect our heritage even though it never stops being painful? Because the one comfort we have is to know that we're doing it together. That we're all suffering together, but if, if we just wait a little longer, if we hold tight just a little more, we'll have rescue because we're chosen, all of us. And you betrayed that, and you spit on it. I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. All right. You said what you needed to say. Sit down, Simon. You sit down first.
One more. There we go. I'm a mess. <laughs> Good. Good. What would I do without you, Ima? So they're having this, <laughs> this argument about who's suffering the most <laughs> when Jesus shows up. So it's, unimportant. It's, un it's important that we understand that Jesus was born just like everybody else. He grew physically and mentally. He cried, he got hungry, he got tired, he got angry, he got discouraged, he felt pain, he bled and he died. Why is that so important for us to know? Well, obviously, I connect with that immediately. If you're hurting right now physically, emotionally, wherever you're hurting in your life, Jesus has a pretty good idea what you're going through. He went through more physical pain than any of us ever will. He understood. But also, it's important for us to know because sin entered through this world or into this world through a man, through Adam. And so the only one that can remove the sin from this world is another man that paid the price that Adam brought into the world. Romans 5, 18 says it this way. This is Paul speaking. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So it's important for Jesus to be not just fully God, but fully man, to pay the penalty for what man did. Because Jesus came to us in the flesh. He is able to sympathize with our human frailties. He understands what you're going through whenever you're tempted and whenever you go through trials. We tend to hang around people that we connect with, with whom we have things in common. Bikers go to motorcycle rallies. Classic car guys go to classic car rallies to be around other classic car guys. Um, I've learned over the years that most of us have more in common than we realize. It's a matter of finding those connection points to one another that we have in common. Still, I'm a pastor, even though I like to hang around my congregation and I love you guys and I have much in common with you, I still do like to get around my fellow pastors. We gather together once a month and have a meal and we connect with one another because we've gone through similar things. Christ has that same connection with you because he's been through what you're going through. He has hurt and been frustrated in all of those kinds of emotional and physical struggles he has 
had. Jesse Owens seemed to be a sure win for the long jump in the 1936 games in Beijing. Excuse me, not Beijing, in Berlin. <laughs> this is during the rise of Adolf Hitler. Hitler was there at the games and Jesse Owens was black. And there next to him or near him when he went there to practice and to qualify for the long jump, was a tall, blue-eyed, blue blonde-haired German taking practice jumps alongside him or near him. And they were both in the 26-foot range. And Jesse Owens felt nervous. He was acutely aware of the Nazis' desire to prove Aryan superiority, especially over blacks. At this point, though, this tall German introduced himself as Luz Long. That was his name, L-U-Z, Luz Long. He says, you should be able to qualify with your eyes closed, Towings, referring to his two jumps that he had just made. For the next few moments, the black son of a sharecropper chatted with this model of Nazi manhood. Then Long made a suggestion, since the qualifying distance was only 23 feet, five and a half inches, he said, why not make a mark several inches from the takeoff board and jump from there just to play it safe? Owens did, and he qualified easily. In the finals, Owens set an Olympic record and earned the second of four gold medals. The first person to go and shake his hand and congratulate him was this German guy, right in front of Adolf Hitler. Later on, Jesse Owens said, you can melt down all the medals and cups I have, and they wouldn't be a plating on the 24-carat friendship I felt for Luz Long. Never saw him again after that day, by the way. Luz Long was killed in World War II. But there was a connection there that went beyond nationality or race. They were two long jumpers. They were two athletes, two Olympians, and they connected. And Jesus has that kind of personal connection with each and every one of you, whether you realize it or not. He's been there. He's experienced it and more. I guess I'm trying to say this, if nothing else today, and I know this may sound trite, I don't mean it to be this way. Jesus is genuinely our friend because that's what happens when we connect with people, we become friends, we consider them friends. And if we don't connect with people, we have nothing in common, we can't stand what they do and they can't stand what we do. They're not our friends. Our friends are people that we connect with and Jesus is our friend. Now, again, that may sound like a silly statement. It's actually a biblical statement from Christ. He considered himself our friend. He referred to himself that way. This is just before his arrest. In John chapter 15, verse 14, he says this. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. Wow. 
Notice he does say this, my friends are, are obedient if you obey me. And that's how we show that we are the friends of Christ, by trusting him and being obedient to him. The author Lee Strobel relates this story. He says a few years ago, a newspaper columnist named Marla Paul published a column of which she revealed her frustration over her lack of friendships. The loneliness saddens me, she wrote. How did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends? She goes on, she says, I think there are women out there who don't know how lonely they are. It's easy enough to fill up the day with work and family, but no matter how much I enjoy my job and love my husband and child, they are not enough. When this column appeared, letters poured in from housewives, executives, and university professors saying, I've had the exact same experience. One person said, I've often felt that I'm standing outside looking through the window of a party to which I was not invited. As Marla later wrote, they wanted to share their frustration and estrangement. All were tremendously relieved to discover they weren't the only ones. I don't know how many friends you have, but that friendship that you have and can have with Christ cannot be replicated in anybody else. It could be if you can find somebody who's fully human and fully God, but there, there's only one person that fits that bill, and that is Christ. And God designed you and me to have that emptiness apart from Christ to draw us to him. Also, you have to know that the friends of Jesus love people. They love people. In the very next verse, in the passage I just read in John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about being a friend and we, us being his friend. In John chapter 15, verse 17, the very next verse says, this command, I give, this is my command, love each other. So he, he wants to make it very clear, if there's gonna be a friendship with Jesus, there's going to need to be obedience and there's gonna need to be love. It's really hard for Jesus to identify with hatred because God is love. And so he says, if you're going to be connected with me, you're going to have to get rid of the hatred because I command you to love one another. That, that is when we show love to other people, it connects us more to Christ. The friendship of Jesus doesn't see you the way that others see you. The friendship of Jesus sees us in all of our frailties and loves us anyway. It was the comedian Rodney Dangerfield who said, I don't get no respect. Once I told my old man, nobody likes me. He said, don't say that. Everybody hasn't met you yet. <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't get any respect. I have no friends. Well, if you don't have a friend in the world right now, or you've got a thousand friends, I want you to know that God sent Christ, fully God, but fully man, to connect with you as well as to die for you. For Jesus, friendship isn't merely about who you are, it's about who he is. I'm going to read to you probably the saddest passage in the Bible. Sorry, I don't mean to depress you. It is extraordinary, it is beautiful, but it is heartbreaking to read. Jesus has just expressed these very words about being friend, about being obedient to him, to be his friend. And 
in the midst of that friendship that we should love one another. He's just said these words when people show up to arrest him. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 47, it says this. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, that's Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, What? Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Wow. Now, I can tell you what I would have said. <laughs> you dirty dog. You kissed me. What a rotten scoundrel thing to do is that. How, how awful. You're filled with evil. Getting guys. Or I would have just had a lightning bolt come right on my finger and taking care of the matter myself. But he didn't do that. What does he say, friend? Do what you came for. Now, he wasn't a friend of Jesus, but Jesus was a friend of him. And so there was a break in that relationship, and it wasn't because of Christ right up until the very end. And by the way, these are the last words Jesus and Judas would ever speak to one another. He ends his last sentence with the word, friend. The German philosopher Immanuel Kant used to love to take long walks on summer evenings meditating and thinking, sometimes for hours. On one occasion, he was seated uh, on a park bench when a suspicious policeman had noticed him just sitting there for hours. And the policeman came up to him and said, what are you doing? <laughs> Kant replied, I'm thinking. The policeman asked when he said he's been thinking all this time. The policeman thought, who thinks that long? And so the policeman said, who are you? And Emmanuel Kent well, said, well, that's actually been what I've been thinking about. Who am I? One of those great questions in life. If you don't know who you are, I'll tell you who you are. You are created in the image of God. You are made in Christ Jesus to be his friend. When we showed you the promo a while ago at the beginning of the sermon on season two of The Chosen, did you notice the song, the hymn that was playing in the background uh, that was being sung as it showed highlights from the season? It was that famous hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. In that Song, there is one of the passages or one of the verses that goes like this. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Now listen to this part. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Your friend is waiting to hear from you. 
even now. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you right now and to your son, we want to say thank you for being our friend. That you made us, designed us, created us to need that friendship. It's a friendship that no one can replace. No amount of fame or popularity. Not even a, a close neighbor or a family member, a spouse, a child, or a parent can fulfill that friendship. Only one who is fully God and fully man. Only Christ. Oh, thank you for being our friend. We have no idea what you went through. Oh, you're suffering. I mean, just, just getting through the day of healing hundreds or even thousands of people, everybody clamoring to touch you, hoping for some help. And every one of them, you're healing powerfully, supernaturally. Had to have been exhausting. They came also to hear your teaching. And so as you're healing, you're teaching them and sharing your heart with them, making those friendships last. Let alone what you did on the cross. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your humanity as much as your deity. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you right now just to be honest with yourself? Do you truly consider yourself friends with Jesus Christ? Because he desires that friendship with you. He's there. He's waiting for you to come to him. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ. You've not done that. You want to surrender yourself to him. You might want to just come up and say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you want to come and kneel and pray and just thank Jesus for being your friend. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with this fellowship. And you explore that friendship in this body of believers. If God is... Leading right now, this opportunity, this invitation is for you.